0: She went under the wheels. Oh,
1: perfected. Welcome to Under the Wheels. I'm Matthew. And I'm Gade. And in today's episode, we are just kind of catching up on what we've been seeing that uh, we haven't talked about already, as well as, I guess, I'll be interested to talk about the writer's strike as well, kind of like what's going on the state of the movie industry in general.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, because I think, you know, obviously normally we try to discuss a current movie that is out in theaters right now, but we are beset by two problems. One, there's nothing good in the theaters, and two, probably seeing a movie in theaters right now is, like, borderline unethical, uh, just because all that money is going straight to the studios, who... Uh, suck and ruin everything they touch. So, yeah. We're in we're in the strike zone because it's also baseball season. Yes. Um,
1: Actually, also, ironically enough, <clears throat> today is... Na- well, the day of recording is National Cinema Day where you can go and see a movie for $4, which makes me think I should support the local cinema, but at the same time, like you said, borderline unethical because you're giving at least half of the profits to... <laughs> the studios that produce these things so
0: that's interesting so today's national
1: cinema day a week from tomorrow's labor day (laughs) Ah, yes labor day celebration of workers by making the majority of workers go into work so that they can make sales uh god Hmm. sorry i've 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 mixed things about labor day apparently one of the things in national cinema day is that uh they would also have some movies that, like, you probably would never have seen, like Old Boy, the original South Korean Old Boy, in theaters to watch. But uh, let's see my local movie theater. Let's see if they're doing. It. Well, wow, you could all a
0: really rare and unusual and obscure movie, like the one South Korean movie that everyone and their mother has seen.
1: <laughs> Ugh, I have thoughts on Old Boy. Have you seen? You've seen Old Boy, right?
0: Yeah. It. It honestly, it kind of sucks. um
1: how about let's start that good let's start let's start there um i know so whatever you wanted to talk about let's table it for a second because i started watching i
0: I didn't have any pre pre banter
1: i didn't come in with anything to talk about okay good i've got i should have written this down where's my notepad i have a i bought a new Mega Man notepad but i haven't moved it to my office yet um because i'm that much of a dork all right, so let's start with Old Boy because I thought you would actually have liked Old Boy, and I actually like probably 80% of it.
0: Well, so- that's the thing. I like 80% of it, and then there's a certain 20% that ruins the other 80%. Are you talking about the ending? Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean. There's a structural issue that I've noticed in a lot of East Asian mystery stories, whether they're movies or books, um, where they stand in contrast to kind of classic Western mysteries in the vein of like Agatha Christie or um, Sherlock Holmes in the sense that you know, with a lot of Western mysteries, the answer to whatever the question is is typically embedded into the premise or into the story in some way where like when all the pieces come together and the detective or the hero or whoever solves it you kind of have this like aha moment where all these things that you had seen but weren't really paying attention to suddenly uh, come into sharp relief and you recognize their importance. A lot of East Asian mysteries are just like mysterious and then the answer to the question is just comes completely out of nowhere is typically batshit insane and um at times doesn't make any sense at all which you know it it kind of denies you as an audience member any kind any sort of uh like pleasure in solving it. It's just like, oh, okay, I guess that was that was that. So that's kind of how Old Boy ends.
1: Um, I mean, no, that's exactly how Old Boy ends. So I I, work, I want to go into spoilers, but let me just quickly ask you: Do you think people should see it, even though it's kind of like eighty percent awesome? In, well, because I think it's eighty percent awesome and twenty percent shite. Um do you still think people should see it? Well, it's just it?
0: like it's it's neither here nor there if you ask me. Okay. Um if you see it or if you don't see it, it's not it's not
1: like I don't know. It doesn't it it, it it's not a needle mover. So I recommend people see it because like no matter what, you will come away with something. And that something might be goddamn that was the worst piece of shit I've ever seen. But for a lot of people, it's like, god damn, the technique is so awesome. Like, the filmmaking of it is really well done. But then the storyline itself is sort of like, what the fuck? So, um, all right, spoilers. Let's get into the ending of it.
0: Yeah, well, it's just, I don't even know if I need to spoil that much. Basically, this guy um, is like a, ends up as a prisoner in a hotel for like 20 years he gets out and wants revenge for whoever did this to him and slowly discovers that like the guy who did this to him is some rich dude who is supposed to be his age but looks 20 years younger for some reason
1: <laughs> because he is <laughs> But anyway, go on. <laughs> In it's real like, life, he yeah. is. He's yeah, yeah. I, it's it's yeah. like
0: it's one of many things that doesn't add up. So it's yeah, this guy who's forty is like he's like oh why is this twenty year old who's actually my age out to get me? And then um, like he has like a the main dude strikes up sort of a friendship with this uh, she's like a bartender or a restaurant worker or something. And they help each other solve the mystery. Um, but, like, they don't solve anything. They don't figure out anything. They just end up kind of blundering into the rich guy's fancy apartment where he reveals why he did all this. And the reason why is just completely random. Like, it comes out of nowhere. It has no setup. It has no bearing on the story whatsoever. Um, he's just like, oh, yeah... You remember that one? It's like remember in in Jobs in our episode on Jobs, where, um, you know, Steve Jobs is talking to uh, Jeff Daniels and he's like, "Remember when I was young and we hung out at that shawarma place?" And he's like, "Yeah." And they have a flashback to that shawarma place, and he's like, "Plot twist: the the chef at the shawarma place was my dad." And, and Jeff Daniels is like, "What? That just completely blew my mind and flipped this entire movie on its head, except no, no one in the audience cares because we only found out about the Sharma place five seconds ago. <laughs> so it has like it's had no time to build up any kind of meaning or relevance. That's mm-hmm. like, that's basically old boy. So like the rich guy is like, remember that thing that happened 30 years ago, And the audience is like, no. And the main guy is like, yeah, and they have a flashback to the thing. And it's like, okay, here's this thing. Where, like, I, I, as an audience member, am just finding out about this flashback right now for the very first time at the end of the movie. So I, it has no context. It has no emotional weight. It has no meaning whatsoever. And then the rich guy's like, well, that flashback ruined my life. And now I am going to ruin yours. And I'm like, sure, w- what? Okay, Fine. Who cares? That is that. It's meaningless. It's utterly meaningless. Um, it's like it's one of those things where it's such a simple fix, like putting that flashback at the beginning of the movie, so the audience is like, "Oh, what's this?" And then yeah, the- revisiting it later yeah. would have fixed everything. It would have fixed the entire movie. But no, it's just like. It just piles on random twists that come completely out of nowhere, without context, without any emotional stakes or weight or meaning attached to them. Um, And it piles on so many so fast in this ending that you're just kind of like... I kind of just checked out. I was like, this
1: movie's retarded. I'm done. (laughs) So here's, like... So the reason I got back into Old Boy was I was watching... um, I got hooked on the Your Movie Sucks channel. I don't know if you've ever seen okay. it. and he I've did probably wa- seen thumbnails for it. You definitely have seen thumbnails. But he did an, a review of the modern, the American Old Boy remake, which is like utter trash and just really bad for a multitude of reasons. But in order to make his point, he went through the movie, the original Old Boy, like chan Park's Old Boy, or Park chan I don't know how we're supposed to say it anymore because I get confused um, because I'm a dumb American. But, um, like, he was going through it systematically, and I was like, oh, man, that's right. I remember this. This moment was so cool. Like, he gets out of the box, and he thinks he's on a field, but he's not on a field. He's actually on top of a building. And, like, the way they introduce Odaisu, where he's, like, a badass in the very beginning of the movie, and then he's, like, this dumb, drunk idiot. And uh, he goes to prison, and he, he, like you you're introduced to Daisu he goes to prison and he's let out of prison within the first like 15 minutes of the movie and i was like fuck that's right korean films really make it feel a lot longer than it actually is <laughs> they really stretch out time but um but every time i think about that movie like the big twist is um the guy who's been torturing our main character has basically been torturing him because the main bad guy he, um just to spoil the whole thing like used to have sex with his sister and then the main character saw it told his friend and he told his friend not to tell anyone but of course like everyone's gonna say it so then like i guess she started getting harassed and so she went and she jumped off of a bridge and like um the the bad guy like tried to save her to keep her from falling off of the bridge or whatever and he failed in that and so like ever since then he's just been obsessed with like killing this guy or with like torturing um, the main character. And it all culminates in this reveal that like that person that our main character has been falling in love with was his, was the, was the main character's three-year-old daughter. And it's like, but who's now, you know, like what, 21 or whatever. And it's just like, Oh, okay. So my problem with the movie, <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. I like, say okay. that. <clears throat> No, the problem with old
0: boy is that like all of that information is revealed at the the end of the movie,
1: basically exactly as you just did it right now. Yes. (laughs) Although I really I I actually I like the flashback scene where he's back in school and he's like he's like, you know, mopping up and he has to like find the information. All of that is is like revealed in a really cool way. Um, The whole idea of like why Odaisu can't just kill the guy outright is revealed in a really cool way. Um, all of this information is done cinematically in a way that's like, all right, this is awesome. This is cool. Um, but then, you know, all of the reveals come out and you realize like the entire time, and I guess I just hate this in movies, but like the character is just basically never been a step ahead of the bad guy the whole time. And it's just, maybe it's like a personal thing of mine, but like the main character just never really had agency. Maybe it's a comment on how, like, people who are terrible are predictable. Also, Odaisu, pretty terrible guy as well. Not, like, the best person ever. So, like, why am I rooting for him? I guess it allows me to sort of, like, emotionally sever that cord as soon as you realize it's just been, like, nothing but incest, the movie. But, um, yeah, I it's just, like, the how extreme it goes with some of the stuff. Like, uh, like, when he pulls out the dude's teeth or when he cuts off his own tongue, like, all of that's, like, pretty badass. When, he get, when a guy gets killed with a CD, um, it's like, okay, man, yeah, dude. Korean movies, they're super hardcore. Like, you know, the sex scenes, like, wow, this is really, like, bonkers. Not really. It, it's worse in context, I guess. But at the end of the day, I was just like, wow. The whole time, the main character had no, like, agency to do anything he wanted because, like, hypnosis. Because, like... The bad guy was just a much more interesting, cooler character than the main character because he just got outplayed is, every single though. time. Yeah, I liked the bad guy better than I liked the main character. It's I, like
0: uh, it's Christopher Nolan in reverse.
1: All the exposition is at the end. all the ex- <laughs> <laughs> And the good guy doesn't in fact win and they're and but it still has the same spinny top, but in the wrong way, where you're like, you, you can't come to the conclusion <laughs> that Cobb is happy. You just come to the conclusion like, does he actually remember that that's his daughter? So, yeah, it's the one best part of Old Boy is that hallway fight scene. I don't care if you don't like that hallway fight scene, Gabe. I love that hallway fight scene. It's um, okay. I think it's, it's awesome. Mid. No, it's a it's amazing because it feels like a video game, and that's the only have reason you played that C? I was gonna say, have you played
0: Thief? <laughs> No, I haven't. It has a hallway fight scene that is based. It's meant to, you know, be reminiscent of old boy and it's way
1: more fun than old boy. (laughs) It's way more fun than watching Odaisu's big wig flop around as he tries to fight a bunch of guys. Um, Anyway, so yeah, everyone loves old boy, but that's not my favorite uh, park film. Um, I actually really liked, we talked about this briefly, but I really liked decision to leave. I thought that was really good. Yeah. Um, that movie was really good. Did that have the same problem like mystery problem to you? Where it was like No. Yeah. Not really. Cause it um
0: The, the movie actually puts like it, it's more like a Western mystery where it puts everything out there from the word go. So you do have those like aha moments when things come together. Yeah. It's not like the entire story hinges on a character that you haven't seen until there's ten minutes left.
1: Yes, except in the case Scene of his or- wife. <laughs> anyway,
0: oh, no. I'm <laughs> well, it, or I should say, hinges on a character that you weren't even aware existed until the last ten minutes of the movie.
1: Yeah. Did you ever see the movie Gilda with uh, with um, Rita Hayworth? What? Gilda. It's an old like nineteen. 19- 50s film noir. No. Okay. Decision to Leave kind of reminded me of like a modern version of Gilda. Obviously a lot bleaker. But okay. All right. Um anyway. <laughs> yeah, no. This Decis- Decision to Leave. Well, cuz I okay. I was nervous cuz you had recommended it and I saw it like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. cool. I could wa- I was on a plane and they had it there, so I was like, all right, I'm going to watch it. And um uh, I was nervous because like some of uh, Chanwoo Park's stuff gets like super like intense and insane with like, you know, like the violence or the sex or whatever. So I was like, uh, I always kind of get a little nervous before I hit play. But uh, but no, it was mm-hmm. it was it was delightfully bleak. And uh, it, was, it was perfect. <laughs> it was, it was just yeah. what I wanted. You know, it was good. They kept me guessing until the end. And I was still wrong. So that was good. It's the the ending is the perfect uh, Alfred Hitchcock bomb moment. Like the perfect yeah. setup, audience knowledge and and uh, character withholding knowledge moment. And I loved it and I think about it a lot, probably too much. So, when you say kept me
0: guessing to the end and I was still wrong. I feel like if if that blurb appears in the trailer for any kind of movie, that movie's going to be really bad.
1: Yes, I agree. <laughs> It is literally marketing. It's a marketing buzzword for we have nothing else to sell this movie on. And also it was made badly. (laughs) I always think of taking lives because that's the one where it was like, and I've told you the, yeah, taking lives is the ultimate. It kept me guessing till the end and I was still wrong. All right. So you also saw Ran and you said something that surprised me.
0: What did I say that surprised you?
1: You said that it was Akira Kurosawa's best movie.
0: Yeah, I, I stand by that, I think.
1: All right, defend it's, yourself.
0: It's the best movie that I've seen. Okay. But you have... So um, what have you seen from him? I've seen uh, Yojimbo, Sanjiro, Seven Samurai, Rashomon. Well, those are the big ones. Um, Drone of Blood? I have not seen Throne of Blood. I have not seen The Hidden Fortress. Um, so, yeah, I think it probably just those four plus Ron. Um, I'm trying to think if I've seen, like, Ikiru or something.
1: <laughs> I have not seen Ikiru.
0: But have you seen the Ikiru remake with Bill Nye?
1: I love how there's Bill Nye, and there's Bill Nye. Uh No, I have not seen... What is it called? It's like called, like, Aging or something? Being. Living? Living. I don't know. Living. Living. Yeah, no, I did not see it. Written by an a Japanese-American author, just to kind of throw you even further off. A Japanese-American playwright, I think. Um, hmm. I did not see... Wait, is it... Living. Is it...
0: Wait, was it not written by uh, Kazuo Ishiguro?
1: Yeah, is it... Or is he a British... Uh, British Japanese. He's British, yeah. Okay. He wrote The
0: Remains of the Day
1: and uh, Never Let Me Go. Uh, Which neither, I've heard of both of them and haven't seen, I don't think I've seen either of them. Never Let Me Go sounds familiar. Every time, it sounds familiar. (laughs) Weirdly, weirdly
0: enough, uh, as weird as this sentence sounds, Kazuo Ishiguro is probably the best writer to come out of England in the last 30 years.
1: The best writer to come out of England in the last 30 years. That is a weird statement. Well, and again, he probably is like very British, but because his parents are Japanese, he has a very Japanese sounding name. It's like, okay, that's, that's, but that's, that's like, that's globalization in action, right? It's good. Never let me go. That's why I've heard of it. It is a, it is a movie. Yeah. And And so is the remains of the day. Screenplay by Alex Garland. Mm-hmm. Another guy who started off writing books. How old is Kira Knightley? I feel like she's Okay, so she's 38. So she's roughly the same age as Andrew Garfield. She's younger than What the fuck? I thought Kira Knightley would be like way older than Andrew Garfield. She's just been around for so long. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um all right, back to Ron. Which I always call Ron, and other people call Ran, and I don't care. I will always call it Ron until proven otherwise. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. So you say you think it's his best. I think Seven Samurai is his best movie, but I think Seven Samurai is the best movie ever made. So that's why.
0: Well, you're biased there, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, Seven Samurai is good, but it. I don't know. I, I had a hard time sustaining my interest in it for long stretches. Really? Um, yeah, because it's, like, you, you meet everyone. Like, it starts off pretty slow, and then they go around gathering the samurai, which is cool, and then it slows down again, and there's just, like, a lot of arguing, and then there's a huge battle, which is cool, but not as, like, epic feeling, as i think i wanted it to be and then it ends um where the guy's like no the farmers
1: have won we have lost um i'm like whoa that's pretty cool (laughs) deep bro deep going on my facebook page (laughs) Um, i would love to i'd love to expand on some of those but go ahead versus ron well i think with like for example with ron you know Uh, Kurosawa has color at his disposal (laughs) I was about to make a joke about how it's good because it's in color as opposed to black and white
0: (laughs) well no but it's not it's not just that it's in color it's that he uses color so
1: well in the movie yes now to Um, be fair this is the only movie I think of his where he actually uses color fantastically alright go ahead Go on. I mean it's one of
0: the only movies of his where he uses color at all Um, but it's just, I mean, it's gorgeous visually. And I think a lot of the, the ways he uses color symbolically is really interesting. And then also it's like, you know, he has always had the ability to make pretty striking visuals, but I think Ron is the only movie of his where like every shot could be a painting basically. What's Um, ironic
1: about that? How much do you know about the making of this movie?
0: None. I don't really look into a lot of that stuff. I'm just like, ooh, I like this movie.
1: All right. So, <laughs> go go ahead and finish. But I need to come back to painting. Oh,
0: I, well, are you gonna say like because he 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 did paint every frame of this movie? One hundred uh,
1: pre-production. Yeah. Before before pre-production, um, he'd been thinking about this for a while, and so he made he made paintings for every major scene, every major set piece. You can see paintings that he did of um, Ichimanji, like shooting an arrow and Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah.
0: Anyway, go on. Well, it comes through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's just absolutely gorgeous. And I think a lot of the battle scenes do have that epic quality that um, Seven Samurai was kind of lacking for me. Um, And then, you know, it's Shakespeare. Shakespeare's, got his limitations, but it's also like, <laughs> <laughs> it is also like a minimum bar of storytelling quality as well.
1: It's a good, it's a good framework. It's a good framework to use. And what I mean is like, okay, he's, he's clearly a fan of Shakespeare's stuff, but, ha- but unlike a lot of the times in the West when we feel like very tied to follow Shakespeare, exactly. He's just like, I'm going to take the elements that are here and I'm just going to go fucking nuts in whatever way I want to go with it. You know, what's funny is like how you said that you kind of had a hard time fo- keeping focus with seven samurai. I actually have a bit of a hard time keeping focus with Ron, especially like in the middle when he's kind of, when uh Chumanji's just kind of like wandering around from like beat to beat with the rabbit dude with the, with his little, like uh, his little jester buddy. Um, And I forget about the, uh, the blind dude and his sister in the sort of like the the rundown castle that he like destroyed in order to become who he was like all that stuff is good i just tend to forget that that stuff is happening there mm. um, but um the other ron had a really strong effect on me early on because it was like one of the first kurosawa films i saw and okay the fact that he stages his camera where it's like slightly elevated with a really long lens. So like everything looks really flat had this effect on me where I was like, this is, I've never seen anything like this. This is amazing. And then I found out this is like one of two films that he did that in the other one being, uh, dreams. So, Hmm. um, but yeah, it's, it's also just like, it's so like you would like this. It's so bleak. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well it is
0: it's king lear king lear is not a it's not a happy fun time
1: <laughs> having never read king Lear this is my only exposure to king lear i've kind of avoided it because i hear like it's not nearly as badass as this movie so i just kind of <laughs> skipped it <laughs> so like if someone asked me i'll be like oh yeah king lear the one where he has like the son who's like who is like feisty and always like Quick to temper, but is also the only one who cares about his father. Is that the movie? Um, well, King Leary's got three daughters. Yeah, I know. And the third daughter who cares about him is like a pussy or something. Am I wrong? Well, was, ba- was the third daughter who cares about him is like barely in the play. Yeah. Whereas in the well, to be fair, the third son is like in the in the movie, like in like three major sections, like the very beginning, and then comes back at the very end yeah
0: but he does get to break three arrows in half
1: (laughs) i thought it was such a good uh i thought it was such a good analogy at first i was like oh yeah the three arrows yeah they're strong he comes and he breaks them it's like yeah but that didn't matter that's not that's that has nothing to do with like what ends up happening in the movie he could have just left all the arrows there and like had a good metaphor that gets dismantled throughout the movie well, uh, no. I think the point is, it's like it doesn't matter. Th- you can
0: still break three arrows. You just need more force.
1: Yeah, but that was it. But like that wasn't the thing. The thing was that all of the brothers, except for the youngest, betrayed. Like the two brothers betrayed each other constantly, and betrayed their father. Like that was. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean by like the arrow analogy. Kind of is like it's fun, but kind of lost on on the rest of the movie. It doesn't tie into the rest of the movie. Yeah. Like the idea is, know. well, the idea is like they already were splintering before it even began. You know, That they were basically just waiting for, because what is it? The, was it the younger son ends up attacking the castle because like the first half of the movie is basically a sitcom where uh, the dad moves in and he starts giving orders. Like he's the guy there and they're like, oh, I told dad not to do that. This is my house. Dad is, oh, it's your house. Well, I bought it for you. Hilarity ensues. (laughs) Death and destruction ensues. (laughs) It's just a very extreme version of all in the family. Mm -hmm. I agree with you on the use of color. I think it's like the only, or it's one of the few movies that like really uses color. Well, the, I have a, a blu-ray copy from studio canal and I don't know if it's just their transfer, but, um, I will say that, like, even when I was watching it on, like, a high-def screen using, you know, a regular Blu-ray player, it still didn't quite look high-def to me. Whereas, uh, like, the black-and-white stuff, like, um, Seven Samurai, like, it looks amazing. So, I don't know if it just also has to do with the color process where color film stock back in the day is just a lot harder to uh, to clean up in a way that black-and-white film stock isn't. Maybe Studio Canal has no clue what the fuck they're doing. I mean that crossed my mind as well, but it does have a Chris Marker <laughs> documentary on it, which is like a
0: Chris Marker documentary about Ron or just like a completely unrelated. <laughs> I wish
1: it were completely unrelated. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> it also has Jean-Luc Godard's film on it. It, it. has Lagarte <laughs> on there for some
1: reason. <laughs> No, he, uh, <laughs> Chris Marker, I think, was in Japan during the filming of Ron. So he came and made a documentary about, like, Akira Kurosawa and, like, his obsession with um, with making his movies and stuff. And, like, he talks. Do you remember that one scene where uh, the, the wife of the first son? The eldest like, son? Yeah. The wife, like, tells uh, one of the second son's um, subordinates to go and kill the the second son's wife. and he comes mm-hmm. back and it's like the the head of a of a fox statue of a stone fox. Yeah. They ended up, so they only shot it like, I think two or three times, but they rehearsed it like a hundred times because they had to figure out exactly what way to pull the sheet to make sure that the fox's head like flew properly and then showed right in front of the camera. And so they were talking hmm. about, like, how they would run through rehearsal after rehearsal after rehearsal until it was perfect. So then they could just limit the amount of shooting they had to do. So they'd shoot the scene, like, maybe twice just to make sure everything was in focus. And then they'd move on. And I was like, oh, my God. That level of obsession is a little bonkers to me. But that's why, you know, that's why he's one of the greats. That's why, yeah, that's it's
0: it's what separates him from Marvel Disney director bot. <laughs>
1: From AI. AI filmmaker. <laughs> I'm also sad that... AI I filmmaker the- that doesn't know what a movie is. Yeah. Write me a plot. There's a character. Character goes forward. Character meets someone else. They keep going forward. Character arrives at their destination. That's a movie? Yes, it is a movie. Okay.
0: Um, I feel like if uh, the writer strike went on long enough... These studios would just start putting out like Mad Lib movies where it's just like character goes to setting and performs
1: action. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my God. I've seen so many things about the, like, because I get exposed to a lot of the AI stuff and like the sort of like the positive ways of AI. Um, Oh, God. Wait, there just... are positive ways? Well, there are definitely positive things. Like, um, So one thing, and when I think of AI, like they, everyone just kind of focuses on like chat GPT or um, what is it called? That one AI art generator that steals from all the other artists to create their composites. The, the
0: plagiarism machine?
1: Yes. Um, and it reminds me of like, so you're probably too young to remember this. But I, when I was in school, or maybe it was just my school, they would not let us use spell check on our essays. We had to manually go through and like make sure all of our spelling and all of our grammar was correct, <laughs> and it was a nightmare. Yeah. Um, at this point, though, all of that stuff is is uh, automated. So like, if yeah. you're like like especially like if you get to the upper echelons of your job, or if you have any basic job, like you should run a spell check before you send out an email, right? Um, In, maybe not in your job, but when I worked customer service jobs, we didn't have to write every single email from scratch. We had canned responses. And those canned responses, I would say are like, it's like an automated process. It's not not quite artificial intelligence, but it's still an automated process. So Mm -hmm. to me, the good part about AI is it can help to automate processes that are, Boring, but like, yeah. for example, rotoscoping, if you have an artificial intelligent, like in, uh, after effects, if I wanted to pull, like, if I wanted to shoot a video of you in it, like you send me a video of you in your apartment and you're like, Hey, can you pull out the background and put me in, I don't know, star Wars. Like I can do that because they have the technology. They have an artificial intel, an artificially intelligent system that can analyze the difference of like what you are versus what your background is, separate the two and crop you out, and then you can put them in a system. That's a good use of AI. Like I don't think there's anyone out there who's like, oh man, I'm losing my job rotoscoping. Like, no. There's there's no like Picasso of rotoscope well not Picasso there's no Michelangelo of rotoscopers out there who's like, this is my passion. I have no <laughs> bad seam lines. Right? Right? Like, you know, it's it's an automated yeah. system. No, you're
0: just reminding me of an idea I had for a movie one time. Oh, my God. Um, so <laughs> I'm so excited. Uh, uh, you know, there's like that subgenre of like troubled genius movies where it's like a guy who's a, who's brilliant, but he's like an asshole and maybe also a drug addict. And his life is a mess. But everyone kind of tolerates and enables him because he's so good at the thing that he does. Yes, um,
1: I'm very familiar like, with this.
0: Yeah, like like burnt or something like that. Um, <laughs> so, i I want a movie like that. But the the troubled genius, his job is something like really trivial and stupid, like um, you're like, you like like he's a doorknob polisher or something. So it's just like it's like, listen, Jerry. This guy, he's a madman. He's ruining this business. He's running our hotel into the ground. He's addicted to drugs. He's 3 hours late for work every day. He's in and out of prison. You got to cut him loose. You can't keep giving him any more chances. You don't understand. Jeff is the greatest doorknob polisher I've ever seen. When he- <laughs> When he shines the door handles on our guest room doors, it's like art. It's like Michelangelo. This is like a it's hotel- better than Michelangelo. God
1: damn it. It's like a hotel critic who's just like so anal. He's like, because whenever you talk about like polishing, I'm like, oh yeah, he gets all the oils off of the doorknob. No one can get the oils off of the doorknob like this guy. Okay? It's important. It's important not to have those oils on the doorknob. Like, oh my God. There's a critic who's just like, it'll sink or swim. Like, I, yeah, no, I, I see where this is going. The critic who you're the, the like restaurant or the hotel is going to sink or swim based off of the quality. Of the yeah. Hotel. So there's like, there's like a manager who's always just like
0: stressed and smoking cigarettes. Who's like, he's like, this guy is so good at polishing doorknobs, but he's also like almost destroying this hotel. Um, what do oh I do? God. And then the guy, the doorknob polisher guy, he's got like an ex wife, who's like, it's like, Jimmy, this is your daughter. This is your daughter that you left behind so you could polish doorknobs. And he's like, what? I have a daughter? That's right, and if you ever want to be a father to her, you need to stop being addicted to heroin. Um, And then... And then yeah there's like there's like a hotel critic or something or like a re- like a reviewer who's like oh no so and so hotel critic is is coming in like he could make or break the reputation of our entire hotel you know Jimmy the doorknob polisher we need you it's like no I can't polish doorknobs anymore every time I polish a doorknob I I descend further into like drug fueled <laughs> depravity I can't it's too much <laughs> I have a daughter now, don't you understand? Like
1: <laughs> they hand him the brush. They hand him the brush. this like the midpoint of the movie, they hand him his brush, he gets it, he he polishes the doorknob, and then the next scene just smash cut him in a bathroom, <laughs> just shooting up heroin and smoking coke shooting up heroin, sniffing coke, and smoking dope all at the same time. It's just like he's like, This brush did this to me, don't you understand? I was like Oh, my God. So awful. Oh, my God. So So good, though. I I need one of those movies. Oh, Um. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay. So I was... So I know you're going to groan about this, but I was watching Friends because it's, like, just an easy... An easy to watch show. Um, And they have... Rachel, we were on break. (laughs) You know what's funny? I get, like... Okay. No, I'm not going to go on my Friends rant. All right. I won't go on it. Um... Although one thing, every time I watch it, anytime a person of color shows up, I'm like, see, there are people of color on this show. (laughs) I'm in the sixth season that kind of dropped off now. But uh, anyway, um, they they had this one episode where Joey is like he's like auditioning for a commercial and it's like a soup commercial. I think, you know, where I'm going to go with this, because this reminded me of something that something else I saw and they put a bowl of soup in front of him and he's like, oh, chicken noodle. I've been practicing with tomato. It's okay. It's okay. I'll be okay. I'll, I'll get over it. And I was like, oh my God, this reminds me of something. This reminds me of a film. So anyway, just letting reminds you know that, you that
0: that which film in particular, <laughs>
1: a film you made about a certain a film that actor. I made <laughs> about a certain. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Ah, oh, jeez, That was so, that was great. <laughs> He's eating the yogurt. <laughs> <coughs> oh. so anyway <coughs> but yes that joke never got old because I saw it in friends and I was like yeah this is still funny this whole idea of like a method actor just ba- just like barely or and any actor this, the tiniest thing just completely derailing them is funny that's what happened in the in, in the episode <laughs> mm, noodle soup the line is just mm, soup damn it but yeah, so so anyway, yeah, AI, it, it's good for, like, rote processes, like, you know, being a CEO, just get an AI bot to do that. Um, but yeah, it's not so good for, like, generating creativity, because I think we talked about this, AI models don't create anything, they just regurgitate.
0: No, yeah, exactly, they... They can't make shit. They are they are just a, the plagiarism machine. Yep. Um, like like most of the great technologies of our of our young century, um, it it kind of doesn't. It, it's kind of shit. Um. You know, like yeah. uh, we got we we got we got the gig economy we got oh yay the gig economy yeah which is like like oh what if instead of taxis we had like fake taxis um or uh we got crypto which is fake money for criminals
1: um (laughs) yeah i have thoughts on uh i've got thoughts on crypto yeah i mean you just summed them all up but yeah i got thoughts on crypto (laughs) Um, I mean, even like again, I, I I go to spell check because like every now and then with spell check you'll get something wrong where it's like, no, I meant to write fuck, I did not write men mean to write duck. So I mean, with all of these technologies, they're good, but they're not, you know, they're not ready to replace everything. Good. No, I mean,
0: dude, uh, there's a grammarly sucks so <laughs> I don't use grammarly but um, I for work I edit a lot of communications um, that some of which are written by people who do use grammarly oh, and God. there are like there are sentences in there that are just straight nonsense it's like there there's no you know, there's no, like, noun, verb, noun, anything. There's no subject. <laughs> there's yeah. no... It's just like, what the fuck am I reading? Um, this is, you know, it, it's like there's a string of dependent clauses with no independent clause. Um, or there's, like, there's sentences that are so... That are worded in such a labyrinthine fashion as to annihilate any kind of sense-making where you just like, I, I would read it three times and just be like,
1: okay, what is, what is, what is the machine trying to tell me? <laughs> Let me highlight this, go to the guy and find out. Yes. In fact, I am very disappointed in you. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it, I think the best is um, like one thing that you never really want to do is is like right in the passive voice. And the one thing that Grammarly always does is like push everything to the passive voice. It's like, were that it were, it's like, okay, oh God, Grammarly, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Would that that
0: it were so simple.
1: That's my my understanding of like Grammarly or even like the Google Grammar Helper or Microsoft Grammar Helper, all that stuff. It's all to me just like, Oh you really just need to know the rules.
0: And they're Dude, very I edit I, I edit writing for so many people, like not not just at work, but also in life. So I know a lot of shit about grammar. I still Especially don't know that...
1: what active versus passive voice is. Okay. Uh so active voice. I active voices, I punched him. Passive voices, I was punching him. Or I had punched him. So passive uh. voices, anytime they add, a, they add like a, an, what is it, an adverb? I'm really bad with the grammar. I, I'm, I've am i gotten better with grammar rules over time, but there's still a lot. So like um, when someone was like, uh, he had gone instead of like, he went. Does that make sense? Hmm. Yeah. Why so, does that matter? Uh, It doesn't. It's just... Like, if you're reading a book, if you if the person is writing in the passive voice, it isn't it makes you feel less like you're there. Whereas, with in the active voice, um, you feel like you're engaged with it, and it also just, um, in essays and things, it just makes it feel very wordy. Like, why use three words when one word will do, kind of thing? Because
0: I have a fucking word count, (laughs) (laughs) I have to meet my minimums.
1: I will say this, like. Because of the prevalence of things like uh, like online thesauruses and stuff, like you get things where like people are like, you know, like um, I abdicated my opinion betwixt my colleague and their comrade henceforth, and it's like, dude, what? No, just please stop. Like the th- the at this oh, yeah. point, thesaurus like, the is not helping you. The the,
0: the, 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 the so, Geez, I can I can barely say thesaurus. <laughs> it's my second the favorite. Thesaurus time
1: users are really uh, obnoxious having been one before it's it's like everything just you have to understand that you need to apply your own judgment to it and it's the same with like ai stuff which is why it's so scary what's going on that was my attempt at bringing it back but if you want to keep talking about the sources, we can do that too
0: <laughs> no 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 there's there's no
1: reason um so what do you know about the the strike that's going on so far like why the writers are striking and specifically why the actors are striking as well?
0: Well, my understanding is writers and actors are both striking for more or less the same reasons, but to different degrees. Um, Part one is residuals. So like the, the movie economy works in that like, you know, one job is only going to take a certain amount of time and will only pay you for that time um, before you need to find another one. So, you know, you could have a gig that lasts three months or less. Um, and after that's over, you're not getting paid anymore, so you have to find something else. Meanwhile, the product that you make from that, um, the company that owns it can monetize it infinitely. So, to sort of correct that and also bridge workers between various gigs, uh, you know, the, the Hollywood has come up with the idea of residuals, where as the studios or the owners continue to monetize the content that other people make infinitely, the people who actually made it can also be paid for it with each instance of monetization. Um, so that's number one, where residuals used to be pretty a pretty healthy part of people's comp it has sort of dried up in the way, due to the way that streaming services um, operate. So. Okay. Uh, reason number two is uh, sort of new, new workflows. So a lot of, again, it's, a lot of it's the fault of streaming, um, where typically for it's more of an issue for writers, in, and specifically writers in television, Um TV writers used to work in fairly large writers' rooms. Um it was they were sort of run as an apprenticeship where, you know, younger writers were mixed with more experienced writers. And they would go through the process not only of writing the show, but also be attached to the production of the show, to be there on set, to work through script issues, story issues over the course of the filming of a season. Um, this is important because it allows writers one to develop their understanding of how television works, but also, uh, just get experience, learn how their writing translates to a production setting and, you know, just make connections and things like that. And also, um, be employed for a longer period of time that has basically dried up as well. So with streaming, they'll hire, you know, essentially mini rooms of one or two writers who are, once they have the scripts done, they're fired, um, and their their scripts are translated to the production team without their involvement, essentially. Number three is the use of artificial intelligence to, in the writer's case, generate content um, that's garbage, but is honestly not far off from what the studios are pumping out anyway because they are just big garbage factories now Um, and in the case of actors the use of AI to capture and own their likenesses forever so that studio executives can make like really graphic deep fake pornography of background extras among other things (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> which still might happen with non-union shoots but anyway yes yeah no like
0: the first thing I thought of when um, you know they were studios started rolling out these background actor contracts where it's like the background actors just come in for a day they have their likeness scanned and then the studio owns their likeness forever like all those fucking sickos like at the top of the the studio chain who are all just, like, fucking predators and pedophiles and shit, the first thing they're going to do is make deep fake porn of these people. Yeah. Um, like,
1: 100%. So like Uncanny Valley, yeah, Nintendo like, 64 style, a CG models. <laughs> like I mean, that's blocking. the thing. Like, yeah.
0: if someone owns your image and can use AI to make it do anything they want, that's fucking terrifying. So I understand why actors are fighting that really hard right now. Because that's, that's pretty that's pretty scary and gross and also very urgent because it's, it's something that's possible right now. Yes. The writer's issue with AI, it's more, they have a little more time where it's like, they're trying to get protections in place now so that the future is, uh, more secure because like the AI that is commercially available for writing and things like that, um, basically just produces garbage. And it's, it's also like plagiarized garbage. Um, so it's like that's not that's not as much of a threat at the moment.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, this is something I will say cuz I was talking about some people and they're like, "Yeah, but it's going to but it's going to be like all of the stuff that they write is going to be shitty, right?" And I'm like, "Yes." And you're telling me that there are no shitty Hollywood movies that are out? Like it doesn't matter how bad it is. Like, yeah, the the writers are kind th- of protected.
0: Go ahead. That's the over that's the overwriting issue is that the people on the other side of the table, the, pr- the studio executives, they don't like or understand movies and TV. Yes. Like, th- to them, an AI script and a script written by the- a person are the same. To them, Blue Beetle is a movie worth, like, putting into the world and attaching real people's names to as if those people shouldn't be
1: horribly embarrassed to be associated with such a thing. Uh, all right. You talk a lot of blue beetle. Zach. I will see it and let you know how bad it is, but I will put in a substitute. The flash. People thought the flash would be a good idea. Yeah. Well, it's just like, I, I pick on blue beetle because just every trailer I see for it,
0: I lose brain cells. I have no idea if the movie is actually as bad as the trailers make it out to be. But the trailers for the movie are like they're like a they're like parody movie trailers. Like it's
1: No, I, I, I like, what, like when I, know I what went to see, when
0: I went to see Barbie, when I went to see the Barbie movie, they had trailers for Blue Beetle and a couple other big studio flicks. Every single trailer, every single one without exception, was shocking. Like I was I was blown away by how bad these movies look. Just they look like they're they're ugly, they're inane, they look stupid um, and contrived. and it's just like every single one down the line. there was not a single redeemable trailer in that entire, Uh, preamble to the barbie movie and i was just sitting there like you know what the people who are in charge of this clearly hate movies or something because why else would they allow these embarrassments to to see the light of day
1: yeah because they sell or they think they sell because they sold 10 years ago, and therefore, they'll still be a viable no, option No, they don't. Today. These movies
0: didn't exist 10 years ago.
1: No, but the idea behind them, right? Like, oh, there's a big monster. That worked back in the 90s. It'll work now, a.k.a. The Meg, which, I, you know, we went into last time about how it's just a movie for to get Chinese people or people from China in to see movies. Um, or, like, Blue Beetle, like, they have to create a counter-narrative where they're like, oh, this is the start of... The new era of DC to get people in, which, you know, no one's going in to see. Um, what else did they show? What other trailers did you have? I don't remember. It was just like... It's like, an- I know Wish is coming out and it's like, oh, it's another... Oh, what worked for Disney back in the day? Oh, uh, Princesses, uh, Corrupt Kingdom, um, uh, CG animation. Okay, let's just slap it, it, was, it all together it was and like... put it out there, you know? Yeah. <laughs>
0: It was just like a bunch of industrial waste product um, pasted onto a screen. It was terrible. Um, So, yeah, I guess like uh, to the AI thing, you know, the writers, certain writers who are saying it's like, well, you know, the AI is writing terrible stuff now. And it's like, yeah, but the studios are eating it up like they're. They're publishing terrible stuff. Yes, they do not. So care. So it's like they, they do not care. They have, they yeah, they have no barometer for quality whatsoever. Like anyone with a brain, it can see. Like yes, the output of AI writing or AI movie making is shit. But for the people in charge, they're like, oh look, this only cost me five bucks. Um, if that, if that. So it's like they're they're completely unaware. Um, so. Have you ever... And I think it's... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I think that, you know, crushing the use of any kind of AI computing programs in the Hollywood system is important, Um, but it's also important to recognize that, like, the reason why it's even possible for AI to enter into the conversation is because the Hollywood system is so bankrupt in every conceivable fashion, morally, intellectually, creatively, in some cases financially, um that this is even this is even that it's even possible.
1: Yeah, and it's not like this is the first time something like this has ever happened either. Like there's a lot of precedent. Right? So like yeah. one of your favorite eras, the seventies, the only reason we got the kinds of movies we got in the seventies, the only reason we got the Apocalypse Nows was because Hollywood was doing this exact thing, but with over-bloated musicals, over-bloated epics. Every single movie was like three hours long. You mean in the 60s they were doing in the, those. Yeah, in the 60s. Like in the lead up to the 50s, throughout the 60s, they kind of just shot themselves in the foot as they doubled down on these things where they were like, oh yeah, it's a surefire hit. Like, we're only going to make tentpole movies. And then they lost all the money and then they started giving budgets to the smaller creators like William Friedkin, rest in peace, where he just like got a couple million dollars, a, a handheld camera, Gene Hackman, and just was like, all right, let's 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 go make something. Um, yeah. So like, but, it yeah, go ahead.
0: It's interesting you bring that up because we are kind of entering into that like, mid sixties territory of just these big bloated piles of shit failing constantly. We are 100%. Um,
1: Yes. But it feels like it's been like
0: that for 10 years now. not really. It's, it's really accelerated, I think, because I'm seeing the other day, um, there's a headline that's like, uh, studio blames poor performance of blue beetle on hurricane Hillary. Right. Yes, And it's like, I'm saw seeing that. That, that genre of headline more and more, where it's like, studio blames poor performance of the worst movie you've ever seen on some random externality that has nothing to do with anything. And it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Studios are putting out crap. No one wants to see it, so no one sees it. And then the idiots in charge of these studios are like, well, why did it fail? it it must have been you know the weather and it's just like no it's because you made a giant steaming pile of shit and tried to get people to pay money for it which again goes to the fact that the people in charge of these studios are morons who hate everything apparently um like, they don't know how to run a company. They don't know how to make a movie. They don't know what movies are. They don't even like movies. And a lot of the times, they don't even know how to make money because all these studios are continually going bankrupt and then being carved into pieces, broken up, sold to other, like, private equity companies and reconstituted in various ways. All that, all these mergers and acquisitions that go on in Hollywood are just a smokescreen to hide the fact that even though these CEOs who are supposedly paid to create shareholder value by cutting costs and pumping out cheap crap, uh, not e- that doesn't even work. They're not even creating shareholder value in that way. So they have to undergo these complicated financial schemes to, um, you know, basically recapitalize their
1: businesses every five fucking years. And let's be clear, every time they go through some sort of huge merger and acquisition, everyone at the top gets fucking paid. You know, it's not like, it's not like these things are like, oh no, this guy's losing his job. Like if a CEO loses their job, they get a giant parachute full of money. Like, oh, here's your severance package. Like, wait, no, you ran this company into the ground. Why should you get paid for that? If I do something that runs my company, like if a small business owner does something that runs their company into the ground, they're out, they're, they're done. Their business is gone. Yeah. They don't get any money. So it's very, it's very hard to be like to be like oh yeah these guys earn their position they know what they like they don't know what they're doing like David Zaslav has no. no clue what to do with Warner Brothers he got lucky with Barbie he got lucky that Mattel was probably doing most of the heavy heavy pushing and marketing that thing right because otherwise everything else he's done for DC so far has just been a giant like ooh, it's been disgusting you know
0: yeah well that's the thing man it's just like no one has any idea what they're doing and but because these businesses are so big and because they occupy such a important place in like the american and even global cultural consciousness you know anytime they're like on the way to bankruptcy they have just this infinite recapitalization button that they can always hit when they need it so that you know you do some weird m a deal where some branch gets sold off, a new one gets added, things get carved up and re and put back together in different ways. And the whole time the the business gets injected with, uh, you know, a brand new capital stack, brand new debt, brand new equity, and everyone gets paid for just a little bit longer.
1: Yeah. And it's crazy because it doesn't, it's like in some ways the film business, as long as it keeps finding these avenues of people to help float them, it will never go out of business because like back in the, I would say back in the 90s, but probably earlier than that, probably all the way back to the 50s, they had giant uh, manufacturing companies funding them, right? That's why we have soap operas, because the advertisers for whoever was making soap would pay the company, would pay the writers to incorporate their brand into the episode so that women would buy it, because in the 50s, that's who was watching soap operas. And so instead of like manufacturing companies, now the conglomerates are made up of like tech companies. So there's always going to be a vein to mine. Like eventually, it'll be you know like the oligarchs in Russia and Dubai and stuff like that, which is also like that. Sony. The reason why Columbia Pictures is owned by Sony is because Japan started getting really rich, and the guy who was the head of Sony was obsessed with movies. So he bought he bought uh, stock in it, and it's just. Uh, I I always think of Bob Chapek like i know you hate bob Iger. i think bob Iger, out of all of the ceos he's probably the best at running the company for the 10 years for the 12 years he was doing it but like bob chapek just shows that like if you get if you know enough people you can literally fail upwards and then you can mm-hmm. it's like the it's like at the end of frost nixon when it's like oh yeah you know president nixon it's like uh He really got to come into with the way that Frost interrogated him. And it's like, no, Nixon was fine. He never went to jail. He still had a ton of money. He had Secret Service detail until he died. Like, he didn't care what public opinion was about him. He probably was honored when he died. And it's like, dude, talk about failing upwards. Like, Bob Chapek's going to be fine. Like, Bob Iger, like, he's going to be fine. You know, Michael Eisner, he almost ran Disney into the ground with his stupid meddling. So, um. Yeah, I just like uh, Zaslab's gonna be. He's gonna make a ton of money because he's gonna just start cutting jobs because it doesn't matter if you cut the below the line guys, which is another reason why it's important to strike. Like we talked about residuals, right? I was gonna come back to this. Um, mm-hmm. The streaming residual thing. The last time they 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 went on strike was because of DVD box set sales. Do you remember that? 2007? Yeah, well, it's, it's
0: like the with every new form of distribution that Hollywood develops, they're going to try and protect it from having to pay any kind of residuals because they want pure profit. Um, So it's, it's, it's on the workers, writers, actors, and anybody else to strike and make sure that no, like this new distribution system also has to pay residuals at the same rate as every other form of distribution. You can't like, you know, cheat your way
1: out of this. And it's it's fascinating to me because like writers, when it comes to streaming rights, writers get so little money. Uh, The actors get so little money on residuals. And at first you're like, oh, well, that's why the streaming costs are so low, except that all of these companies like Netflix took all of that money, all the subscribers they got, and they then invested it in stuff that now they're like, oh, we have to raise rates because we overextended ourselves. And they didn't even overextend it to writers. So I guess one of the questions I have for you is if they increase the streaming costs to help pay writers residuals, are you okay with that?
0: Yeah, that's fine. But the thing is a lot of the time they probably wouldn't even have to do that.
1: Yeah. Or they should. Netflix
0: might have to just because of their, their business structure for so long was that they would, um, they basically weren't profitable. Everything went into growth. Right. Um,
1: but you know it's like well that's the other thing isn't amazon still like it's still in like its growth phase it still makes um it's still like every year it's always under what it it always needs another investment but it's seen as high and what's his name bezos is like a ton of money but as a company aren't they like constantly under
0: well that's it's kind of the tech model is that you Mo- a lot of tech companies don't bother trying to become profitable because they make, they increase their value so much just through growth and then future growth projections. So And that comes from essentially giving up profit. So they, they trade profit to reinvest into, you know, hiring more salespeople, building up their technology. And I mean, there's plenty of like waste that goes on as well. I mean, a lot of it is just execs, like jacking themselves off with money. Oh, 100%. Um, but, yeah, it's like you know, a lot of them aren't profitable because they choose not to be. They reinvest all their profits into growing, which, you know, isn't terrible or anything. It's just like at, at some level, you know, you if that's how you're running your business, you then can't cry foul later that you're not profitable. It's like, well, you chose this. Right. And, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like if we really want to get super, like, macro philosophical, like, is it even ethical to make profit You know, like, shouldn't you really just be paying everything back into the system somehow, either paying your workers what their labor is actually worth? Because the thing is, it's like, if you're making money in excess of your costs, that means that the value your workers add is greater than what you're paying them. So you technically should be paying them more in that case.
1: And this is where we get into talks about, like, this is why workers or uh, worker co-ops are good, because everyone gets a share of the profit and everything like that versus a big conglomerate company or something or along well, those lines. Yeah. I mean, it's, take a look at the banking
0: sector. I mean, the, the banks that survived like the 08, 09 financial crisis, the best were cooperative banks, credit unions, um, the ones that didn't
1: get a handout from the government that was in, excess,
0: and they, the they also didn't get a handout. They survived completely fine on their own. Why? Because in a cooperative, everyone has a stake in the business it's not just the people at the top as a result everyone's incentivized to make sure the business runs well and continues to run well instead of you know just creating a giant pyramid scheme or money laundering scam to just funnel money up to a couple people
1: and then let the business collapse while those people run away so Um, as far as the philosophical argument on profits because i'm still kind of like i still kind of get a little wonky on where i stand And we can always cut this if you're not, if you don't want to have this on there. But, um, as far as profits go though, isn't the idea that like you do want to make some sort of a profit? like, let's say you're a small business and you make a small profit based off of your workers, based off of what your workers do, even though you're not fully investing in them, you're putting it back into the business, like the profits go back into the business to help them grow bigger. Isn't that the general idea of what's supposed to happen? It's what's supposed to happen. It's
0: either the pro, like you make a little bit of extra profit so you're not going under. Right. Um, And you invest it, you invest it back into the business to grow it, or you pay it out as a dividend to the stakeholders of the business. The argument that I would make is that anyone who works for the business is a stakeholder. So the dividend should go to them.
1: Okay. You, you, you commie. (laughs) <laughs> I know that's not what it is. I know, I know. Um, yeah, I-, I think the
0: other issue that a lot of the tech companies are facing is mm-hmm. that uh, money's expensive now. I mean, d- rates are higher than they were. Um, so it, it's just, a- everyone's a genius when you can borrow money for free. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's, it's, you start to see how stupid people are once uh, it, it becomes expensive to borrow
1: right um the other thing that i i always think about is how like everyone's like oh but elon musk has to be a genius because tesla like tesla's evaluated so high it's like it's so good and it's like it's clearly a car manufacturing company but for the longest time wall street because they wanted to boost their profits i guess looked at it as a uh, as a tech company and it's like well no wonder it's, it's doing just so bullshit. well yeah, a lot of it's bullshit hero worship, too. I mean, well, yeah. Elon
0: Musk is rich because he was born into a family that was rich. Yes. You know, it's not his... It, like, everyone kind of shits on him because, like, his dad owned slaves and stuff. And it's like, well, it's not his fault that his dad became super rich by owning slaves. But it's also not his fault that he became super rich because his dad owned slaves. <laughs>
1: You know, are an apologist. Um, no, I So like, it's like, yeah, it, you know, it,
0: so yeah, he, he came into this world with a shitload of money and then he used that money to, uh, to buy some other guy's car company and pretend
1: it was his. Well, he also bought some other guy's payment company that was supposed to be for Palm Pilots <laughs> as well. Cause he wasn't on the ground floor of PayPal either, but that's how he made, that's how he made the, the fuck you money where he could invest in tesla
0: well no so he was he bought into x.com which he <laughs> of made course, himself,
1: that's right of course
0: he did which he made himself ceo of yes and then uh peter Thiel and paypal bought x.com from elon musk and fired him and that's how he made his money or that's how he okay. made the the fuck you money. Fuck he went money. from being very rich to being uber rich. Yeah. And then he used that to buy Tesla and pretend that he actually came up with the car. Right? What what year did he buy Tesla? What was that? when was that? I don't know. It was I think
1: was because early Obama years maybe. Um I remember I remember they came to my high school at one point. Yeah. It was during the roadster era. It must've been, I feel like it was 2007, but it might've been 2009 and they had someone, um, they had someone come in and talk about it and like, they even drove it on stage. They weren't supposed to, but they ended up driving it on stage anyway. And I was like, Oh wow, Tesla's this company is cool. But like, I don't know if, uh, Elon Musk was CEO at that time. Uh, CEO in 2008. So I, I don't know, like, I don't know at what point that the just like general marketing blitz happened for the company, but I mean, you can say a lot about Elon Musk, but he's basically just like a really good, uh, replica of PT Barnum.
0: So there you go. Well, I mean that the thing that unites a lot of these people is they are good salesmen. They're good at convincing other people to buy stuff. Um, but the problem is, is that a lot of the time, that's all they're good at. Yep. They can't make anything worth buying. And they can't manage the process that makes those things. But they can... They can... They're smooth talkers, and they can convince people, hey, you got to have this widget or whatever. And then, <laughs> like, you know what? I do need that widget. I That widget is great. And the guy... Who runs the company that makes the widget is my personal
1: hero. Yep. That's what they're good at. Yeah. My favorite meme is the Simpsons meme where the, the, uh, the Indian guy's like jumping in front and it says like a, there's like a guy with a gun and it's like um, legitimate criticism uh, behind the Indian guy is like Elon Musk and then the, guy, the Indian guy's like uh, weird fanboys obsessed with Elon Musk, like taking a shot for him. Oh, oh, yeah, there's
0: still where Apu jumps in front of uh, Snake when I think a cop's about to shoot him. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So just to kind of, like, wrap up the AI stuff, because we talked about residual. So, yes, the residual thing is a big deal, because, like you said, a lot of people are able to survive off of it, especially, like, they talk about in Lean Years. What's her name? Mandy Moore has kind of like been out in front where she's like, if I didn't have residuals, I like, I don't know what I would have done because it was just really hard for me to get a job. Um, that's the way it is for a lot of actors. And it, you can say like, well, that's not fair. Like, you know, um, actors like they're they're make believe they're they're playing for fun. But the actors who need the residuals to help live are the ones who are not making millions of dollars. They're the ones who get to, who make a career out of guest starring. They're the ones who are like, Hey, I recognize that guy. Um, and so f- because of that, like it it is really important that they have these residuals, especially like streaming. Well, that's system. the thing. It's like, I think
0: SAG-AFTRA has like over a hundred thousand members. Oh yeah. So it's like, there's not a hundred thousand movie stars, you know, there's like a nope. hundred movie stars. Which means there's a whole other, you know, ninety nine thousand nine hundred people who rely on this uh, union to make a living, mm-hmm. who people have never heard of, and their living is fairly meager, um, but it is just barely enough thanks to the union.
1: I always think of Stanley Tucci because Stanley Tucci's like been huge for you know maybe twenty years. But, like, he's an older guy, and he's been around a long time. So he's
0: who, he's but he's doing well for of... himself. You don't get to fop around Europe like that if you're not... Uh, no, he's doing well now. If you're not, not making I th- good money. <laughs> yeah, but,
1: but, I, but, like, I think of him or, like, early Paul Rudd before he really made it big in those Judd Apatow movies, which by, I was going to even talk about the Judd Apatow movies and stuff, but I don't need to. We've got plenty of content ugh, ugh, on this episode. Um, but, like... I think of those guys, the guys who had to, like, survive for 20, 30 years and then made it big when they were older as, like, the people who really need the union. And, again, like, I, you could probably assume, but I'm very pro-union. You know, my dad's been a part of a union for a long time. My brother's part of a union. Um, You know, I think it's important to protect the little guy. And if there aren't systems in place to protect the little guy, then it is, like, governmental systems, then it is up to the rest of the workers, So, like, I'm 100% behind the union. I'm 100% behind the WGA. I've got, um, when I was working at Disney, I couldn't join their union. But, like, the union for the theme park employees, they, so, just, like, to kind of tell you how scummy some of the managers can be, for the theme parks, they would schedule you for 7 hours and 45 minutes. Do you know why they Hmm. would schedule you like that? So, it's not a full day's work. Well, no, it would be a full day's work, but they would not Uh. have to pay you for a 15-minute break. So the way that it worked was if you're scheduled for six hours, you're supposed to get two 15-minute breaks. Uh, If you're scheduled for eight hours, then you get a lunch break and two 15-minute breaks. If you're scheduled for seven hours and 45 minutes, they get to save 15 minutes of pay from your paycheck. So it took a while, but the union started fighting it, and then they made it mandatory that you had to... You had to schedule them. If it was 745, you had to round it up to eight. Um, the two theme parks, you know, one's in Florida, so the minimum wage is a lot lower. The other one's in California, where they have a higher minimum wage. The union in Florida fought to make sure that all employees got paid the same wage as the California workers. And it basically just like shot everyone's uh, standard of living at the Walt Disney, like at Walt Disney World, <laughs> into like a decent middle class living in Florida. So That's so funny. I know. Oh, it was so great when I found out because like the college program in California paid like 15 and the college program in Florida paid seven fifty. And as soon as they found that out, they fought for it. Now, not everyone likes paying into unions. Like I, I understand, like I earned all that money. You want to take taxes out. You want to take health care out. You want to take all this stuff out. And then you want me to pay union dues. But like, I know people, you get... wouldn't have
0: earned that money if it wasn't for the union. Yeah. The you issue. wouldn't
1: have. Yeah. Not only that, but like, Um, the union... I think people get kind of mad because like there are people who pay into union dues. Like in Florida, they would pay into union and there were a bunch of people who didn't want to pay into the union and they still got the benefits. And they'd get mad about that. They're like, but I'm doing my part. And it's like, yeah, no, but you should still do your part. Like Just because they're not doesn't mean that they shouldn't benefit from it. Like if Mm -hmm. the union isn't protecting those guys, then everyone who's in a union will get kicked out. So anyway Um. yeah no I mean it's uh,
0: you look at the 1950s like the golden age of American prosperity where it's just basically been a downhill slide ever since then Uh, the two major differences between then and now economically are one uh, incredibly high marginal tax brackets for the most wealthy and two uh, massive union participation those two things made this country strong and 10%. anyone who disagrees is almost entirely objectively
1: wrong. <laughs> I mean, I agree with you and I actually do like talking to people who are like, no, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's, you know, let's, let's, you know, let's talk about it because like, um, I know that, So I I know that unions get a bad rap. And obviously it's because they're the people who are at the very top don't want unions forming. There's a whole, there's a whole like job market that is all about bashing unions and breaking up unions. It's bonkers. But I've been in an area where I wasn't protected by a union and I've seen an equivalent area that was protected by a union and it's insane. Some of the smaller things it's nice having a strong teacher's union just because like on a general sense, it means that teachers get paid more. Um, you know, teachers have certain rights, but like at the same time, as strong as the teacher's union is, it's clearly not strong enough if we're not getting like better wages, if we're not getting compensated for overwork, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I'll, I still support it 100%. Uh -oh. Oh yeah. Well, it's like, I
0: mean, there's, it's an ongoing scheme, in the United States to uh, degrade and destroy public education so that the entire system can be privatized and schools can be turned into essentially like job training programs for Just like the, the next generation of, of drones. Yep. Um, so yeah, right. I mean it's the, the government and people, corporate interests who have an interest in education have been trying to do this for a very long time. And they continue to try and do this, and basically the only thing standing in their way
1: is really the teachers' unions. I I think it's the teachers' unions, but also, like, for example, for all of the faults of Governor Kemp, he is extremely nice about giving teachers a lot of money. So that's been... I'm like, man, I don't like all your policies, but I appreciate the fact that you keep giving teachers, like, just thousands and thousands of dollars every year. Just, like... Please stay. We need people to educate our kids. It's like this is in <laughs> Georgia, man. It's like
0: that's one thing. That's one thing Florida is gonna have to figure out. Yeah, <laughs> is
1: who's gonna who's gonna teach the kids if all the teachers are like, "Fuck this, I'm out." Yeah, what's gonna happen is uh, they're just gonna keep relying on old New York Jews to come down to Florida and save the state. <laughs> <laughs> They'll just cycle them out. They're there. just gonna make schools into like jails for children. <laughs> They're going to put them on the, it's, uh, you know, it's just like how all of those motel owners have basically become landlords. They're going to do the same thing except for kids. They're just going to start like the kids who are local to Florida. They're not even going to have them go to schools. They're just going to like, eh, you're going to work. And then we're just going to rely on like the rich Northern people, the rich Northerners to come down. And then we're going to just blast Fox news at them so that all of their sort of like normal thinking is corrupted over and over and, you know they got it working. It's you know the system is perfect except for that damn Disney World in the middle and hires all of the, all of the regular people.
0: All the mental clarity that is brought about by cold weather gets drowned out by
1: just swamp humidity. <laughs> swamp humidity, fear of alligators, and like perfectly manicured lawns in your giant subdivisions. <laughs> uh, have you ever Have you ever been to Florida? Like driven through the rural or the, like the suburban areas. Oh my God. So like they filmed um, Edward Scissorhands in Florida, which, you know, basically almost killed Johnny Depp, but that's, it it still looks like that. Like all of the subdivisions are like one story ranch style houses, all perfectly lined up with perfectly manicured lawns. Um, You have to drive, you know, like 15 minutes, kind of like in Orange County, how you have to, if you live in like the higher end area or live in Irvine. You have to drive like 15 minutes to get to the grocery store. It's like that for everything there. I I fucking hate that shit. (laughs) I can, I, my grocery store
0: is five minutes away. I can't imagine driving 15 (laughs) to just like get a fucking lemon or something. Damn it. I can't believe I forgot my salt.
1: Let me get in the car. I can finish my podcast. Yeah, no, that was, yeah, it was a, I had a friend who lived in, uh, in an area down there and it was just like, anytime we'd have to go to the grocery store, I was like, all right, I actually, even where I live now, I have to drive five minutes to get out of my, my current subdivision. It's like, Jesus Christ. (laughs) And after that, I still have to drive like five minutes to get to the grocery store. So uh, yay, suburb. I actually like the suburbs, but, um. But like, like they have
0: their 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 pluses for sure, but it's just like there there are some suburbs that are just out of control. Like yeah. they're unlivable. Um, you know, I think I think lots of little suburbs
1: are better than like just these huge tracts that you see sometimes. I, I always feel like it's a hard balance because like I agree, my where I grew up, you know, if I wanted to I could walk to the grocery store and pick up groceries and stuff. And like, that reminds me of the city. There's a smaller area, a small town. It's since been just destroyed by Silicon Valley. But then there's other things. It's like, it's, there's a certain limit of like, okay, it's fine driving here, but man, is it nice when you can just walk to a, a convenience store to get what you need. Like, that's one thing that that's nice about city living. The not nice thing, very limited space. Yep.
0: So Um, Limited space and that fucking dog that lives downstairs. <laughs> it was up yelping at like seven A. M. It's like, dude, it's the goddamn weekend. I am trying
1: to sleep in. <laughs> oh no, he was trying to he, I heard him I heard him just recently. Fucking Oh yeah, no, it's been I don't dog. know what's been
0: going on this morning, but it's like at thirty minute or forty five minute intervals he will go outside and start playing with like the hose in the backyard and oh, yelping God. for 15 minutes. And I'm just like, fuck dude, can't you just do this like once a day in the afternoon to get it out of your system? Why does it have to be every 45
1: minutes? I bet he's got a, a problem where he's like going in the house. And so they're like, okay, we gotta, we gotta regulate this. Like, Anytime he looks like he's got to go outside we got to let him out. Okay. I'm not saying that I have personal experience with that, but, uh, i have personal experience with that and it gets to the point where it's just like it's easier to let him out so that he doesn't piss all over the carpet so who knows (laughs) i think we hit everything about the wga and the sag after strike right yeah
0: i mean hopefully they win um We're probably like this year's already been kind of a weak year for movies. And now that this is going on, it's almost certain that it's just, I'm going to call it um, like unless, unless Killers of the Flower Moon is amazing, Infinity Pool is probably the best movie
1: that's come out this year. Um, I mean, two things can be true at the same time. Infinity Pool can be the best movie you've seen this year and Killers of the Flower Moon can still be amazing. Well, Infinity Pool's really good, but it's not, like, amazing. It's oh. I mean, let's see. What was my – like, John? I. it's weird because, like, this year I, – I was going to talk about this. This year's been, like, a very strange up and down because I think Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves came out this year too, and I really liked that. Like, the beginning of this year was stacked really well. There's still going to be a decent amount of releases because, like, the strike's not going to impact the rest of the schedule for this year it's, it's gonna not going to impact, gonna impact stuff year. that's fully baked although dune 2 is getting pushed out it's getting pushed out to further next year <laughs> which is like okay because it's in the middle of filming so that makes sense but like it, that was well, not this year it was going to come out this year i thought was it i thought it was always destined to come out next year i would not have wanted it to come out this year i don't i think it's uh let's see dune i love how dune the Dune movie the first one is just Dune with the year of twenty twenty one or whatever. <laughs> and then Dune part two and then Dune part two that's the title of it. Dune part two. <laughs> um Uh Okay, so it was supposed. Wow. There's no way it could have come out this year. They were gonna push it. It would have sucked if it came out this year. Are they all done filming? Yeah, yeah they were all done, I think um
0: yeah filming wrapped last year but yeah so it, it's being delayed okay. from this year to next year um we may see it, that happen to other movies but yeah I mean this this the rest of this year is not looking pretty strong and this year wasn't very strong to begin with
1: um it was not last year but I think this year was still pretty okay yeah okay fine by me saying pretty okay that briefs that basically is the nail in the coffin, isn't it? Yeah, like, last year was incredible. Um,
0: last year was the best year for movies we'd had in a very long time. Yeah, last year was um, fucking amazing. Yeah, this year is kind of, meh. It's, it's pretty weak, honestly,
1: in the grand uh, scheme of things. But the highs are, for me, the highs are no. really high.
0: Oh, yeah, I would, I, loved- I would
1: not agree with that at all. <laughs> I uh, I really liked Oppenheimer. I really liked John Wick Chapter 2. I really liked d d Sorry. I, I, I mean, I liked John Wick Chapter 2 as well. But yeah, I really liked John Wick Chapter 4. Enough that I saw it multiple times. Um, I guess Asteroid City was a little bit on the weaker side. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I a guess lot of right. movies I, guess I saw right. this year were like, were like
0: good but not great. There's a lot of good but not great this year. Um, And, like, even the the great ones weren't, like, amazing. They're not all-timers. They're like, oh, yeah, this is, like, one of the best movies you could see in a given year. But,
1: yeah. Mm, Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I was just looking at all of the movies that I saw this year so far in theaters, and I was like, eh. I guess I know what you mean. There's a couple in there that I'm like, ah, yeah, that was. I'm glad I saw that one, but... Yeah, it's like Bo is Afraid is not gonna is probably not making my top ten because I haven't been thinking about it. Bo is Afraid is definitely one of the movies of all time. (laughs) It is definitely one of the movies that was released that we talked about this year. (laughs) Um, Yeah, because like yeah, it's like oh yeah, Barbie, Barbie came out this year. It's like yeah, but that's I mean it's I don't know to me. As great as it was, the more I think about it, the more I'm just like, oh, yeah, it's a giant toy commercial. I don't know if you saw yeah, this. I mean,
0: Barbie's Barbie's good. It's a fun movie, but, you know, not an all-timer by any means.
1: Apparently, they're going to make the Ken's Casa Dojo house. They're, they're turning that into a toy because, of course, they are. Of course, they are. Because they did course. it in the movie. Why not do it in real life? Yeah, like, we need – because, you know, even though Ken's outfit in the movie was just a mashup of other Barbie – outfits we need an actual version of that version of ken that we need to come out with and release which again i can't be too mad because it's the exact reason why we had the prequels of star wars and the clone wars cartoon because they needed to sell more toys because george lucas needed more money um Mm -hmm. yeah this this year i was oh this is one last thing i'm going to say about the uh the tv writers so you we didn't talk too much about the tv workflow of, of streaming services um i did not know that was one of the reasons they were fighting so i'm glad you brought that you brought that up um what i was yeah gonna... i mean it's the the tv workflow
0: has changed in a way that sort of prevents newer writers from learning or knowing anything um and essentially stunts their development so the the wga is trying to fix that
1: so I'm of two minds of that um, because the part of me that likes writer's rooms makes me think that like because everyone has moved to streaming services it, and because of the strong negative impact on network television, that's one of the reasons why it's such an issue. Because the main places where they would have writer's rooms are network television shows. But like the rise of cable, diminished network television power... The fact that there's nothing that's like a must-see TV show on television has reduced that. And now streaming services have come and like destroyed it. On top of things like, um, as HBO got more money, they started creating writer's rooms that were not run like traditional writer's rooms, which is kind of the appeal of making a show with HBO. Even though you'd get less money. Um, things like Game of Thrones, where they did that. Um, so, I'm of two minds. One is, I, it is important to have a like an apprenticeship, a breeding ground for new writers because you never know who you're missing out on. Then the other side of it is um, there are people out there who are s- have such a strong voice that they don't, they wouldn't want a writer's room. Like, not to put you on the spot, but for example, you seem like the kind of guy who if you made a TV show, right off the bat I would think you would want the control to write every episode. Maybe not research every episode, yeah, but, but, every episode but write every episode. Write the teleplay, for example.
0: Those are, I think, unique cases. In what way? I think there has to be...
1: Well, it's like, I think...
0: I think there has to be um, room for there to be big writers' rooms, you know? Because certain shows work better in that format. Certainly comedies do. Um, And I think the other piece to the workflow aspect is writers need to... TV writers need to be able to stay on through production, that's the other issue that streaming is bringing is it it, it right. cuts people loose like during pre-production which is yeah. not helpful to
1: anyone on the working side of it so this just quickly this reminds me of like one of the reasons carrie fisher stopped doing script doctoring are you you know what script doctoring is yes so just for the other people who don't know a script doctor would come in after a movie is already bought, they would come in, they would fix all of the problems with the script that a studio would have, um, and they would get paid to do it. But what ended up happening is Carrie Fisher would be brought in. The studio heads would be like, all right, we're thinking of hiring you to be our script doctor. What kind of fixes would you want to do in the script? And she would tell them, and they'd say, okay, cool, thank you. They wrote down all of the notes she had, show her out the door, put in the put in what she recommended, and then she wouldn't get paid Most of the time, script doctors don't get credited, so she wouldn't get paid for her work. work. So she stopped showing up to those meetings, but because she stopped showing up, she stopped getting paid on the side as a script doctor. So that's when you were talking about what the writers are doing that I was getting that exact feeling of like, they bring in the writers, the writers would write the show, the executives look over it, say, okay, thank you for your time, show them out the door. Then they would start production and realize, oh shit, we got to bring in more writers Uh, We got to bring in writers to fix this episode or fix that episode and find some sort of like back alley way To bring people in to give their like, oh, what would you do to fix this? Oh, you know We could do this or this or this. Oh, thank you for this, you know, think tank session Have a good day show them out the door and be like all right, now incorporate it. So I do think, like, I mean, I agree with you that it's important to have them on through production because it can help them to write and fix problems, especially with these streaming shows that like, they shoot all the content two years early, take two years to uh, go through production, post-production, and then release them. It's like, there's a lot of changes that happen in those two years before it, it airs, which is not something that the networks have a problem with. So. Yep. Interesting changes all abound, but yeah, especially because television was like the equivalent of theater for the writer. Whereas like the playwrights voice is supreme in theater and the television executive producers are usually the writer or creator of the show and their voice reigns supreme, which again, yeah. you could, I have, I take some issues with that, but a lot of people who are writer focused are happy about that. So my thoughts are, that you should have one person who's interested in the visuals, and that would be like the director as an executive producer, and you have the one writer who's concerned about getting their words properly, um, properly displayed on the screen. But if you have just writers, a lot of writers don't always think visually, and then you end up with the problem where people are just saying talk, 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 and and then which it was fine back in the day because people would put the television on to do other things now not so much
0: no people still put the television on so that they have some background noise while they scroll through their phone (laughs) that's true
1: that's true um oh and then the only other thing about the ai is like it's dumb to me because like executives don't know how to prompt the ai program so they'll have to hire writers anyway the only problem is they'll hire (laughs) less writers so Mm -hmm. it's just a really stupid it's really stupid. Executives are now shooting themselves in the foot. But again, like I said, it doesn't matter if the CEO says something really stupid about how like, we need to resolve this because writers are, you know, they, they're not important to this. They should, they, they should take the job because they want to create. And it's like, it doesn't matter how stupid the CEO comes off because they're always going to get a giant payout at the end, no matter what. So,
0: yeah, if, if the CEO shoots himself in the foot, uh, TARP
1: will give him a new foot. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, All right. Well, that was depressing. Uh, Anything else you want to talk about? I don't know.
0: I mean, it's a pretty exhaustive discussion, I think.
1: I will say, what's the one, do you know the one studio that has permission to continue shooting? A24 or something. Yep. Do you know why? Because they're quote unquote independent. Because they met all of the writers' demands, all of the writers in the tag. Oh sack, wow! They agreed to all of their demands, which of course they would, because good, like of course, good for them. Like A twenty four, A twenty four is like the least AI generated. Uh, I guess you want to call them studio ever, like good for them. Yeah. So. That's that's funny. They just the writers listed all the demands. A twenty four is like
0: okay, cool, yeah, sure
1: yeah you know we made bows afraid we definitely care more about writer's (laughs) voice than we do about some sort of ai program like come on now come on so good on you a24 keep being keep being the best hopefully god i hope nothing bad comes out about them all right that's all i have gabe if they want to talk to us what where would they go uh, they can find us on YouTube,
0: Facebook, email us at pot, or video at underthewheels.com. Our website
1: is underthewheels.com. Yep. Who is Who is on strike. He right is now. on strike. He is on strike. Although he's not going to be striking Monday or Tuesday because the heat warning is in effect. So good on you, uh, SAG-AFTRA, for looking out for your people.
0: Oh, shit. need to check the weather now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> on that note, I'm Matthew. Fuck, dude,
0: it's gonna be so hot tomorrow. <laughs> Shit. And I'm Gabe. And you have just been under the wheel.
1: <laughs> okay. I also didn't realize I had Shadow of War. Oh, <laughs> fuck that game, man. I know, but I can make it look so pretty. I can make Shellob look even hotter. <laughs> dude
0: every I didn't realize how old that game was because when I played it kind of towards the end of last year yeah every character model is so fugly it's just like they all look like um like oblivion you know uh potato people (laughs) but like more disturbingly
1: lifelike when was this game released um Yeah, I'm, yes, I'm over fucking 17, god damn it. 2017 is when it was released. I mean... Really? That recently? Yeah. The thing is, um... The weird thing about the first game, and I guess they fixed it in this, is like, so in the Arkham games, Batman's arms are like Ben Affleck's, where it's like they're a little freakishly short um, compared to what his (laughs) body should be, but it looks like they fixed it for Shadow of War because Talion had the same problem where his he had like these little stubby arms as he was running around, and I was like, "That's weird." Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely felt like it was the same exact game systems, and I was like, kind of getting tired of Shadow of Mordor by the time. Like the Nemesis system is cool, but by the time it was over, I was done. I was like, "Okay, this is this was fun for for what it was, but cool." All right, so I really do. Need I tried.
0: To- I like. I really like Shadow of Mordor when I played it. But I never finished it. And then I came back to do Shadow of War, assuming it was bigger and better. And it was just annoying. Yeah. I did not have a good time. And and why the fuck is Shelob a, a woman and not a spider? That doesn't make any sense.
1: I think it has to do... It probably has to do with some shit in the Silmarillion. Um, because though... like, I thought that the Lord of the Rings movies were super big in the Tolkien mythology, but God damn the, like the fact that Celebrimbor exists, like, you know, like a meme, no one, absolutely no one, Celebrimbor exists. And he's like a main character in shadow of, of uh shadow of Mordor is like, okay, these guys went into the, they went back and they were like, all right, let's, let's figure out how the Balrogs came to be. Why are the Balrogs not fighting with, um, they're not fighting with sauron let's figure out you know like so i think they went back and they're like okay so shell part of her appeal is the fact that like Celebrimbor can see like various forms because he's forged the one ring and the ring itself is like uh it allows you to see things like in different ways like see their various forms um that's probably the reason and then also you know because tna man tna sex sells it's lord of the rings (laughs)
0: <laughs> Everyone's make- like a sexless doll in in Lord of the Rings.
1: That's that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah, but then WB came in. This is like Any pre- kind of Saz-Loud. romance.
0: Any kind of romance in Lord of the Rings is like unbearably chaste.
1: <laughs> Just like JRR Tolkien's sex life. Like imagine the sex life of an 80-year-old. That's what you have for Lord of the Rings. <sighs> Or the sex life of an Englishman, which are a Victorian eighty year old, a
0: A conservative Victorian eighty year old. (laughs) Jeez, oh Oh, my god! He probably Uh, fainted the first time he saw a woman's ankle.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I did not know where you were going. I thought you were going to go much more lewd than you actually did. Good call. Good, good. Well done. Well done, sir. Well done. Was he even around? Was it? Was he technically in Victorian times? Because he um, he, he's, he saw World War Two. He died in seventy three. He served in World. I think he served in World War One. Right? Or was it one of those Indian wars?
0: The French and Indian War.
1: <laughs> he's not. <laughs> he's not that old. Because he was born at the end 1892,
0: of eighteen ninety two. So that's like. Yeah, I mean, he
1: was, okay, he was, like, a child in the Victorian era. Yeah, but still, he's, um, he, he's but he's an Oxford professor, so, of course, like, you know, he's the definition of stuffy. Oh, yes. Um, Exeter College at Oxford. Exeter College. Oh, that's his alma mater. I studied, yeah, so he did serve in the, because that's where the relationship between Frodo and Sam, it's like, uh, it's like a, a commanding officer in his Batman, And his what? His Batman. I think that's what they called them. His Batman. Yeah, they called them Batman. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's like that's like the uh, the assistant to the general, like um, or the assistant to the officers. I think that's what they were called. Swear to me. Um, Can you imagine Christian Bale as like Sam? He's like, uh, like, get off, you're not gonna turn me into anything unnatural, are you? this just got super awkward our batman what are batman's powers the aid de camp whatever
0: Mm. (laughs) oh uh (laughs) tolkien was born in south africa interestingly
1: wow orange free he's one of those british people okay Huh. <laughs> so many areas to go. Hey, he died when he was eighty one. Hence sex life of an eighty year old.
0: Oh, one of the best jokes about old people dying I heard recently was you know how Bob <laughs> Barker passed away? Yeah. So someone said it's like I can't believe uh Bob Barker got as close as he could to one hundred without going
1: over. <laughs> It's like in true prices right fashion. <laughs> oh my god.
0: Finished.